I'm back. Welcome to season two. Before I begin the episode, I wanted to tell you about one of my new offerings called In Conversation, interviews about life with people I admire, bi-weekly videos where I engage with my first loves, asking questions, and listening. It's meant to be a natural extension of my memoir project, and you can find the interviews on my Substack and on my new YouTube channel, Jasmine Aaliyah Rasmussen, and you can find a link to my YouTube channel under the Substack tab called Interviews. All right, let's get started. Part two, body, discipline, November 2012, Concord, California, seven months until my mother's death, age 30. I couldn't catch her, I told my mom over the phone. Autumn and I had just returned home from story time at our local library. While I was talking to another mom outside the building, Autumn got bored and decided to take off. She ran down the long sidewalk and right to the parking lot. I was towards the end of my second trimester with Violet, and Autumn was a pint-sized little thing that held a fast speed. My hip flexors restricted as I tried to waddle jog after her, but I'd lost her as soon as she hit the first row of parked cars. I wouldn't have cared that she'd ran off except that the parking lot dumped into a very busy four-lane road. Autumn, please, please stop, I yelled over and over. At 18 months, she wasn't very verbal, but I knew she heard me just fine. I tried to increase my stride, but it was physically impossible to move any faster. At the fourth row, in between two parked cars, I caught sight of her. She paused when she saw me, but I was afraid she was going to think it had turned into a chase and that it was best to keep going. Later, I'd learned about the game Red Light, Green Light that both spoke to the toddler mind and helped caregivers keep their child safe, but in general, when it came to outsmarting the toddler, I usually lost. Autumn, I pleaded, wait for mommy. She didn't come to me, but she did stop long enough for me to reach her. Trying to catch my breath, I bent down and clutched her by the shoulders. That was scary for mommy. Autumn doesn't run through the parking lot because it's not safe. I said in the weird third-person toddler speak phase we were in. Autumn's little and cars can't see her. Autumn could get a big ouchie. My mother and I were at an uncomfortable phase in our relationship. Her disease had made her handicapped. No driving or dressing or bathing or making food for herself. She could barely get out of bed, up from chairs, make it over thresholds without assistance. She was homebound, alone and isolated a lot of the day, while I'd never had so much to constantly tend to. I was growing, forming a new identity as mother while she was contracting and losing her own. I feel like I need to do something, I said to my mom. After all, she was still the first person I called after anything happened. I can't tell if she understood and, like, took me or it seriously. Sounds like it's time for some discipline, she answered in a way that let me know she thought I had already waited too long and was now being a pushover. My mother and I fundamentally disagreed about children's intentions. She thought they were capable of and readily employed manipulation at any age, while I thought that was giving the child too much accountability and the parent not enough. Maybe, I hedged. I wasn't opposed to discipline in general, but besides natural consequences, I hadn't seen or experienced any techniques that felt in alignment. And while what Autumn did was dangerous, I didn't think she did it to be purposely antagonistic nor that there was a natural consequence. 
I could tell her we couldn't go to the library for story time the following week because she'd ran away, but at her age, it was too far in the future for her to connect the two, and even if she could, I didn't think she would have cared. Put her in a timeout, my mom offered. She was never short on advice, except this particular suggestion felt so wrong coming out of her mouth. The woman who birthed me on a tent platform and challenged every sort of patriarchal structure regurgitated an antiquated militaristic response on child-rearing. What? Mom, no. That's completely ineffective and doesn't make any sense. I'd often have a feeling something was off, but not have any backing as to why. And in my family, you always needed to prove yourself in the form of an argument. Being right, and in doing so, making the other person wrong, meant survival. But my family was only a microcosm of a larger societal construct, where data is valued and feelings are not, and because of this, feelings hold little currency. Later, after my mother passed, I'd find Dr. Laura Markham from AHA Parenting, who explained timeouts were, at best, only a temporary fix, and in the long run broke connection and trust, damaging the relationship between caregiver and child. What a child really needs is a time in, a safe space to feel the full spectrum of their emotions, to then in turn learn techniques to regulate their nervous system. But at the time, even if I had had a viable reason against timeouts, my mother would have most likely responded with some sort of, then why are you asking me? It was true that a lot of the time I needed to talk things through, bounce around ideas, not to then follow without thought, but to feel into them, see if they fit. This was not only true with ideas, but activities. I'm sure as a child my process frustrated my mother, trying on every shoe in the mall before choosing one, or cycling through horseback riding, tap, ballet, gymnastics, piano, ukulele, ice skating, tennis. The list went on. As soon as I had the outfit and accessories, tasted the experience, finished the series of lessons, I'd quit. Some of it was undoubtedly a child exploring the world, but more it was my personality, and quit was the only word provided, while what I was actually doing was listening to myself. No matter, my mother indulged me. After all, she knew intimately about wearing different identities, names, vocations, and she met me both in the physical act and the intellectual one. At her best, she added to the discussion or went along with my curiosity. In her last decade of life, my mother called herself the cool hunter, an early adopter of innovation. She'd lovingly work within what I was asking from buying me the first generation Bose when I wanted a small CD player with good sound to the first-gen Dyson vacuum when I needed my own for my college apartment. 20 years later, we still own that vacuum because quality was as important as invention. She helped me find affordable organic baby clothes for autumn on Amazon before organic was readily available or trendy, and a natural remedy for wart removal after the freeze technique failed. She'd dig around, research, and come up with something expansive that would speak to not just the material want, but my emotional needs. Except as soon as autumn was born, these kinds of exchanges between us, where I'd come to her with an emotional problem and we miss each other in understanding were happening more often than not. She couldn't engage in a nuanced discussion on discipline because questioning her advice as a mother felt the same as if I were challenging her as a person. And by probing, I'd inevitably hit on a sensitive spot, something unexamined in herself, coupled with her confinement, her physical pain, a body she needed but was no longer working, constricted her bandwidth to imagine anything outside her lived experience. As so often happens with her, our disconnect wasn't really about timeouts as I'm not sure she ever employed them herself. 
It was the reality that my trust in our all-knowing, all-seeing existence fractured with each impasse. It meant admitting that later, when our own methods of punishment appeared ineffective with my brother and me, she turned to spanking, a choice that held consequences for decades after, and something I would never employ with my own children. I've yet to meet anyone who doesn't have a complicated relationship with their body. I am no different. The mind holds tightly to a story, skewed by time and perception, but the body? The body holds the story. My somatic experience and the emotional knots it created and then carried were at the root of most of my physical expressions. And it's only in entangling the emotional knots that I was then able to understand the layers of my experience. I'm Jasmine Rasmussen, author and narrator of Saved, a memoir on purpose. Join me weekly for an oral telling of my novel, written in verse and prose, broken into short, digestible episodes. I'll guide you through my journey back to self. Click the link below to subscribe or go to jasmineleahrasmussen.substack.com to find out more.